together and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sunday morning we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians in a series entitled Christian Living in a Pagan World. If you're with us today and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles and they've got lots of Bibles. Just get their attention. They'll give you one. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, we want everybody to own a Bible, to know their Bible. Uh, Take that Bible as a gift from the Lord to you today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for every jot and tittle of your word. Thank you for this book. Thank you for what every sentence and every chapter and every paragraph is intended to accomplish in our relationship with you and what it is supposed to bring to our spirit, to our inner man, Lord, that beautiful supernatural person that you have brought into us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you take this passage this morning and that you would use it to strengthen us and build us up spiritually, to further equip us spiritually and to encourage us. We ask these things as we ask for a work of your Holy Spirit In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is addressing a false doctrine that had uh, kind of infiltrated into the church at Corinth. And it had to do with the resurrection. Uh, There was the false teaching of some within the church that... Uh, At Corinth, they were asserting that, as we're told in verse 12, there is no resurrection of the dead. And in this whole letter, Paul's been dealing with one problem after another in the church. But up to chapter 15, it's kind of dealing with a lot of practical things, a lot of, you know, just the church was a mess. And he had a lot that he needed to address. But the issues were not doctrinal. And now he comes at the very end of the letter and he addresses what is potentially the most important thing of all in addressing this false teaching that had begun to infiltrate into the church, the idea that there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, how this began to uh, come into the church, we don't know uh, specifically. It could be that false teachers came in and began to teach it within the congregation and weren't stopped. 
But it's probably most likely it was just something that came in from the culture around them. And so much of what we read from the book of 1 Corinthians, we see over and over again that it was a church that was not only not being distinctively Christ-like or distinctively Christian as a witness to the world, but they were being completely overwhelmed or hit by a tidal wave of the culture around them, the world culture around them, and they were being impacted by that world around them. In the Greek culture, in Athens, of course, Corinth was a Greek city. And in that Greek culture, the whole philosophy and idea related to death and related to life after death was interesting. And it was unique to them at that time in the ancient world. And, of course, Greek culture and philosophy dominated that part of the world. And it wasn't that the Greeks didn't believe that there was life after death. They did believe that there was life after death. But they believed that when a person died, they became a sort of a spirit being. And they were released from their body. They viewed the body as a tomb. And so, though they hated the idea of death, as most people do... They also looked at it as an opportunity to be rid of all of the base desires and of the body, all of the uh, tendencies of the body to pull in wrong directions. And so they felt it was kind of a release from a tomb. And so uh, the idea was that the body would be laid down. They, as uh, this spirit, eternal spirit being, would go then either to... Uh, into the equivalent of their heaven, uh, Elysium, they called it, or you would go into eternity and go to Tartarus or to Hades, the equivalent of hell, based upon the kind of life that you lived. So this was their thinking, and, and because it was their thinking, they felt there was no need for a body in eternity, and since there's no need for a body in eternity, then there's no need for resurrection. Now, by way of simple review, um, it isn't unlikely that some of those in the church at Corinth, they're new Christians, it's a relatively new church, and it's just like people when they're new Christians today. We come to put our faith in the Lord and maybe the greatest thing that's on our mind is the forgiveness of our sins and uh, everlasting life, beginning a relationship with God. And so we think about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And his death is kind of the supreme thing that gets our attention. And sometimes when a person becomes a Christian, they're thinking about, all right, I have the forgiveness of sins because of his death upon the cross for me. I have everlasting life because of his death upon the cross uh, for me. And they don't give so much consideration to the importance of the resurrection. And that, that's just the case. We become Christians. Everything is so brand new. We kind of catch up to the rest of the Christian life. And one of those things that we kind of catch up to is the significance of the resurrection of Jesus to our salvation. And so there were some in this church at Corinth that they considered the resurrection to be something that was relatively unimportant. I mean, it's just something 
you believe in or you don't believe in. And it's, it's, there's no harm either way. It's just the big deal. He, if you want to believe he was raised from the dead, then believe he was raised from the dead. If you don't want to believe that, then don't believe in that. It's really no big deal. The problem is it's a big deal. And so Paul rises up in this letter and he's going to let them know the significance of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and he's going to let them know of that significance in really no uncertain terms. Now, all of this, again, in, by way of review, in terms of our study a couple of weeks ago, all of this is a very contemporary issue. Uh, we looked uh, at the Barner Reports, who does a lot of polling among Christians and this kind of thing, to find the latest statistics on uh, how many Christians, what percentage of Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the latest statistics we could find was that he declared that among those who self-identify as born again, fully 30% of them do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus from uh, the dead. And and so this is something that, again, is very significant in terms of what we're addressing and needs to be addressed uh, today. And all of this, of course, is just born out of an ignorance, an ignorance of the Word of God, which the Apostle Paul is now going to correct that uh, ignorance in this passage that we look at this morning. In verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul declared the gospel, that it's God's good news to sinful man that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. But not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but the gospel also involves the fact that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And in the passage before us this morning, Paul lists the disastrous consequences of denying the reality of resurrection and that to deny it is to gut the gospel, and it is to literally destroy the Christian faith. And so he says there in verse 12, if there is no resurrection from the dead, and then he lays out seven very serious implications of believing that, seven consequences of rejecting the truth of resurrection. And he begins by telling us in verse 13, If there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. In other words, if there is no resurrection, then the very first casualty of that belief is Jesus. Because if there is no resurrection, he is not alive. Now that's a pretty uh, big casualty of this false doctrine. He is not alive. He is not seated at the right hand of the Father. He is not presently interceding for us. He is not returning for us. We will never see him face to face. Second, he declares in verse 14, if there's no resurrection, our preaching is in vain. The gospel, a gospel that does not include a victory over death, is not good news at all. That is a gospel that is empty and powerless. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then our preaching concerning his power over the grave, his power over death, his 
power to forgive, His power to save, and to give everlasting life to sinners are just empty, meaningless, powerless words. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then all the gospel messages that have been preached millions of times throughout the centuries, all around the world, they have been a complete waste of time. Every single sinner who got on their knees or whatever physical position that they were in and prayed the sinner prayer in response to that gospel message were engaged in something that was a complete waste of time. The gospel is a sham. The gospel is a fake if there is no resurrection because the Savior who promised He would rise Himself from the dead in three days as a witness to the truthfulness of his teaching and also as the proof that his death upon the cross really did pay the full and necessary payment for the forgiveness of our sins did not rise from the dead. Further, he tells us in verse 14, if there is no resurrection, then our faith is vain. Because if the gospel is a sham, then the faith that we put in that gospel is also a sham. Our faith is only as good as the object that we put our faith in. And if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we've put our faith in a dead man. We've put our faith in someone who is as powerless in the face of death as each and every one of us are. Our faith is as empty and as useless as a dead man. It means that our prayers are meaningless. Our worship is meaningless. Our hope is meaningless. He goes on to say in verse 15 that if there is no resurrection, we are false witnesses. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Isaiah is a liar for having declared that Messiah would rise from the dead. David is a liar for having declared that Messiah would be raised from the dead. The apostles are liars for having declared themselves to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They swore that God had raised Jesus from the dead. They claimed to have spent 40 days with him after his resurrection, eating with him and drinking with him. And there's no way they could have been mistaken about the resurrection or deceived about it. Either they told the truth about it or they were deliberate liars and deceivers concerning his resurrection. And worse yet, they were liars in the name of God. And these are not, if there's no resurrection, these apostles are not honest men. They're not heroes of the faith. They're not heroes of the early church, but they're monsters for having preached lies to people about the single most important thing in our life, and that is our salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And everyone who has ever preached the gospel of hope to needy sinners, from the apostles right down into this pulpit and right down into this room and around our city and around the world, we've been guilty of being a false witness concerning Christ, guilty of false advertising, guilty of lying. Either Christ rose or we are all liars and we are worse than liars. 
We are blasphemers for having sullied the name and the reputation of God Almighty by linking him to the life and the claims of Jesus. If there is no resurrection, verse 17, we are still in our sins. That is, we are completely unforgiven of our sins. Every Christian who has lived long years confident of the forgiveness of their sins has been completely self-deceived. Their sins have not been separated from them as far as the east is from the west. The idea that God has forgiven us of our sins is an illusion. It's not based in reality at all. And now, instead of basking in the completeness of God's forgiveness for our sins, all of the peace that that brings into our life, all of the joy that it brings to us, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It's all a lie. And now we have no option but then to allow sin to pull us back into the abyss of all of our former shame and our guilt and our condemnation. We are not bound for heaven as we once thought we were. We are bound for hell. And we have no power to resist sin. All of the things that we thought we had victory over, all of the things that we believed that we were free of, now are free to rise up once again and take us into an even greater bondage than we once knew in our lives concerning them. If there's no resurrection, he tells us further in verse 18, those who have died have perished. Every word of comfort spoken countless millions of memorial services for Christians have been a farce. It's all make-believe. It's all a false hope. Our loved ones are not in heaven. We will never see them again. Every word of comfort concerning heaven that we spoke to them in the final minutes of their life, all of it was a lie if there's no resurrection And those that have given their lives, their entire lives, to living for God and serving God in their local church and on the other side of the world, they have perished as completely and as surely as the most vile criminal and as the worst mass murderer. They have wasted their lives believing a lie, advancing a lie. And further still, verse 19, if there is no resurrection... We are of all men the most pitiable as Christians. We have spent our lives living for a lie. And all of the trials and all of the suffering and all of the hardship and all of the persecution and all of the refining and all of the faithfulness and all of the obedience to God's Word, it is ultimately meaningless. It has has never had and does not have any eternal value Everything is lost at death. Everyone who has lived for sin and lived for selfishness, they're the smart ones. The rest of us just played a cruel joke upon ourselves. And Paul is essentially asking the Christians in the church at Corinth, do you see what a wonderful thing 
you've done to Christianity by denying the resurrection? Do you see how beautiful you've made it? How attractive you've made it? How much you've improved it with your great wisdom and your remarkable intelligence? To deny the resurrection is to deny the resurrection of Jesus, which is to destroy the gospel, and it delivers a fatal blow to Christianity. Paul made his point concerning the folly of any Christian denying the resurrection, and specifically the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But thankfully he didn't stop there, because I want you to notice those first few words of verse 20. Where Paul went on to say, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And because Christ is risen from the dead, he is alive. And all that he taught and promised is true. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he does ever live to make intercession for us. And he is returning for us. And we will one day see him face to face. Because Christ is risen from the dead, our preaching is not in vain. God does love sinners. God is eager to forgive. God is eager to save. The gospel isn't empty. It's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we can share the gospel without the slightest shame with anyone that doesn't know the Lord yet and to know that we are giving them the single greatest piece of news that any sinner can ever hear in the course of their three score and ten of this life, a message that will never disappoint them if they put their trust in it. Because Christ is risen from the dead, our faith is not in vain. His resurrection bears witness to the fact that his death upon the cross really did make the full and satisfying payment for the forgiveness of our sins. Our faith is well-founded. Our faith is well-placed. It's founded on a Savior who keeps His Word, who is absolutely trustworthy, who will never let us down, who keeps every one of His promises to us, no matter what He has to do in order to do that. He does hear our prayers. He does receive our worship. Our faith in Him is meaningful. He does honor it. Because Christ is risen from the dead, we are not false witnesses. Isaiah, what he prophesied was true. What David prophesied was true. What the apostles preached was true. When the gospel was preached to us and we responded to it, it was the truth. And when we share the gospel with others, we're telling them the truth about the most important decision that they will make in life. Because Christ is risen from the dead, we are no longer in our sins. Praise the Lord for that. We are forgiven. Our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. God did give us a fresh start and make us into a new creation. We don't have to live in the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of our past sins. And not only related to the past sins... 
the Bible teaches concerning the sins that we commit now and we will commit on the course of our journey between here and heaven, that the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. Because Jesus is raised, is risen from the dead, those believing loved ones who have died have not perished. They are with the Lord. They are safely home. They aren't going to experience any more sorrow, no more pain. They are enjoying all of the sights and the sounds and the glory and the beauty of heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And because Jesus is risen from the dead, not only are we not to be pitied, we are to be envied. It is not us as Christians who are living for a lie. That's what everyone who is not a Christian is doing. We're living for the truth. We're living life as God intends it to be lived. We possess not only everlasting life, but we are living an abundant life. Now, the gospel is not made better by denying the truth of the resurrection. Christianity is not made better by denying the truth of the resurrection. And God protect us and our hearts from the pride and the arrogance of unbelieving man, from clever men, from so-called smart men, men who, like the Sadducees of old, take and foist upon others their own limitations and then impose those same limitations upon God, men who think they can improve upon perfection, improve upon God's gospel, God's good news to sinners. Paul wrote of the gospel earlier in the chapter, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, and by which you are saved, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Of all who would deny it, and attempt to improve upon Christianity in doing so. God encapsulates them in verses like this in Psalm 62. He said, Surely men of low degree are a vapor, men of high degree are a lie, and if they're weighed in the scal- on the scales, they're altogether lighter than vapor. Earlier in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, Paul wrote, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, yet it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, my preaching to you is not in vain. God does love sinners. He is eager to forgive you and to save you this morning by putting your faith in Jesus and in doing so to begin to experience a wisdom and a power in your life that you have never known before. The wisdom and the power of God Almighty at work in your life. And there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after our service. And they would love to answer your questions and pray with you to begin that relationship with God that you've been created for and that God has paid such a great price to provide to you. The reason that salvation, the forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, heaven, all of these things that are bound up in Christ, the reason that they are free for the receiving is because Jesus has done all of the heavy lifting in providing this salvation to us. All we need to do now is to simply receive the gift into our life. Don't leave today separated not one more hour, not one more day from a relationship with God. He's bigger than all of your problems. He will make you into a new creation. He will turn you into something magnificent, an earthly version of His Son and growing you into a life like Christ. And then after this life, heaven on top of it. Take advantage of God's offer to you today and come forward after the service and allow these men and women to pray with you to begin that life. I'd like the worship team to come out right now and I'd like us to stand.